do our declaration of faith before we begin. You would say this with me. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in a manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Give the Lord praise. <laughs> praise the name of the Lord. Before I uh, begin tonight, I want us to call upon the name of the Lord. Would you begin with me by just shouting his name, Jesus? Jesus. Call on him one more time. He's our very present help in times of trouble. Amen. Brother Marvin, would you ask the Lord's blessing? Amen. You may be seated. It's no secret that we're living in very troubling times. and It seems like that defeat's around every corner. It seems like even defeat has become a socially acceptable and sadly even in the house of God. When we're, yet we're supposed to be overcomers. And God has called us to do great things. And we cannot be living in an hour of defeat when God is wanting to give us an hour of victory. God is wanting to speak to our hearts and our lives tonight and wants me to express to you that God wants to give his people victory. That out of the ashes of your defeat, he wants to give you a victory. He wants today to be the end of the road for your defeat. He wants this to be the day you tell your troubles goodbye. See, as believers, we have been delivered out of the bondage of sin Yet many still live in such defeated lives because we haven't fully trusted our deliverer in our lives. He brought me out of that, but I'm just not certain if he can bring me out of this. We ought to be living victorious lives. He wants his people to have a victory dance. How many people want to dance this year over the fact that your enemy has been defeated? Celebrating a victory because you have either overcome something, you've either conquered something, you've either achieved something, or you have defeated something. Because your circumstances overwhelmingly have changed. Something happened that you never dreamed would happen for you. And that's what God is wanting to do for his people in this 2020. I hear the Lord proclaiming a year of victory for his people, a year of deliverance. A year of someone's circumstances overwhelmingly changing. 
something happening for someone that they never dreamed would have happened for them before. A year of chain breaking, a year of addictions being broken, a year of afflictions being overcome. Can I get an amen? Oppression, depression, possession being broken. Overwhelming circumstances changing. For people who are trapped, caught in the middle with no way of escape, and as a result, it will lead to many to do a victory dance. I said many because many are the afflictions of the righteous, but my God shall deliver us from them all. You might want to go buy you a tambourine to accompany your dance routine when you get your victory. Now, you're going to understand this a little bit better by the time I get done preaching. First, I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus. I'm going to set this thing up. Now, the word Exodus means a mass departure of people. As in the case of this book of the Bible, the name Exodus is used to reference the subject of this book, which is the mass departure of the Israelites from Egypt under the leadership of Moses, who was sent by God to lead the deliverance of his people out of 400 years of Egyptian bondage and slavery. See, Exodus is the second book of the Bible containing the account of the biblical Exodus, the departure of the Jewish slaves from Egypt under the leadership of Moses is where I will draw my context for my message tonight. The crossing of the Red Sea is part of the biblical narrative of the Exodus, as well as the escape of the Jews led by Moses from the pursuing Pharaoh's army. It speaks of a turn of events that took place in Israel's history, of when God's people were being held in captivity by Pharaoh of Egypt, who despised them and worked them as slaves to punish them. The people of God worked hard, and they died daily at the hands of this king. The people of God responded by crying out to God, begging for another chance to be his people and to serve him instead of man, begging for freedom from their bondage, praying earnestly in their captivity for God to deliver them. God, upon hearing the repeated cries, vows to send them a deliverer. He chose Moses to lead the plan of his deliverance. Once Moses accepts a call, he then has to win the hearts of the people and face Pharaoh, the enemy of their hearts. After constant spiritual warfare and vehemently facing opposition with the Lord on his side, Pharaoh agrees to let them go. To only after a day of his agreement, changes his mind and pursues to recapture the people once again. He chases them all the way to the Red Sea, placing them in a place our enemy always loves to put us, in a place where there is trouble on every side, where it appears there's no way to escape his plot. And the walls on either side of us gradually close in on us as time runs out to escape, leaving us feeling hopeless, helpless, painting a picture of an ultimate defeat right before our eyes. But fortunately, he doesn't have the final word. And that's what I want to speak to so many about tonight, to those whose backs are against the wall. There's trouble on every side. And the picture that's been painted for you is one of defeat. And you can see that you're out of options. I came to tell you, help is on the way. That God can make a way when or where there seems to be no way. Can I get somebody to say amen tonight? Hallelujah. So let me set the plan up that God has for you. The pursuit by the Egyptians to recapture the escaping Israelites from the bondage ends that day with them being trapped with Pharaoh's army on one side and they got the raging Red Sea on the other side. 
appearing there was no way possibly out of this situation that defeat was imminent until suddenly Moses stands up in obedience to hearing God's voice and he holds out his staff over the sea and suddenly seemingly out of nowhere when nothing else seemed possible the Red Sea is parted by the hand of God allowing the Israelites a way of escape from their enemy Upon parting the waters, they begin to cross the bottom of the sea on dry ground while still being followed by the Egyptian army. God parted the sea, but that alone wasn't enough to free them. They still had to obey the voice of God and cross it. They had to make a decision to trust God in their situation. See, God opened a door, but they had to decide to walk through it. Whether or not they were going to trust God enough to walk through it. I'm talking to some people now. See, in Exodus 14, 1 reads as follows. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites had ended up at this place because of them fleeing from the 430 years of Egyptian bondage. This Exodus was led by Moses, who had been sent by God to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And God had heard the cries of his people and who prayed and cried out for over 400 years for their freedom from the hands of the Egyptians who held them in bondage as slaves, Egyptians who had mistreated them in their captivity. The Israelites, God's chosen people, ended up in these conditions because of their prior, prior sinful practices and at their refusal to obey and trust God. That pretty well sums it up why we so often, too, end up in our situations and why for so long because of their disobedience. God allowed a famine in the land, which drove them to Egypt looking for food, so they exiled their homeland to Egypt, which in turn led to them becoming slaves to the Egyptians, which in turn, the bondage and the suffering of slavery drove them back to a heart of God once again. And upon their repentance and the pursuit of God once again, once again, God sent a deliverer named Moses to answer their prayers of freedom. Upon Moses obeying God's command to go to Pharaoh and plead for their freedom and Pharaoh refusing to let them go, God begins to send plagues upon the land in an effort to convince Pharaoh to obey the voice of God. Plague after plague came, yet Pharaoh would not give in. Who was this deliverer anyway named Moses? Moses was born in Egypt. He was considered a Hebrew prophet. He was born at a time in which Pharaoh had given a decree for all the firstborn sons to be killed. Yet by God's plan, as an infant, he was rescued by Pharaoh's own daughter, a princess, and raised as an Egyptian. And by God's plan, was unknowingly nursed by his biological mother, unknown to Pharaoh. Therefore, Moses spent years growing up in Egypt and was led to believe he was an Egyptian, yet he was a Hebrew child. Eventually, Moses is forced to leave his home after killing an Egyptian who was beating up a Hebrew man. Moses flees to avoid Pharaoh's punishment, and in doing so, he finds his true identity. He knew that deep in his heart, there was an unsettled spirit. Moses soon learns of the truth. Then one day, while watching his father-in-law's sheep on the side of the mountain, he has an encounter with God through a burning bush. And God speaks to him his plan for his life. And he tells him to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh that all the Hebrew slaves go free. He has been called to be used as a deliverer of God's people. Upon Moses, after much struggle to follow God's command, he goes his toe, but this request didn't go over so well with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who thinks he's a God, a God as well, says no to Moses' God. And the spiritual warfare begins over the lives of God's people. Now, there's such an important takeaway right here. 
when God's people cry out to our God in his word, he promises to hear our prayers and answer them. But often, before the answer comes, there is spiritual warfare that takes place first. This moment is a replication even of the process Daniel experienced as well. The Bible says that Daniel prayed for 21 days and no answer came. Then finally, an, answer, an angel of the Lord appeared into Daniel and said, Daniel, I heard you the first time, but you've got to understand there is a spiritual battle being fought to bring forth your victory over your enemy. And still today, we must understand this. To defeat your enemy and bring forth a victory for you, you have prayed and prayed for. There are warring angels at the command of God fighting for your victory. And you must be patient and let patience do its perfect work. And trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. There are countless examples of this process throughout the Word of God. He may not be there when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. It may be four days later than you expected, may look like it's dead, and may even have the smell of death, but he will show up for you. So over the next couple of months, Pharaoh's shown over and over again how powerless this God of Egypt, the gods of Egypt are. The one and only true living God proves to Pharaoh through nine different plagues that he is a great God above all gods. Then Moses tells Pharaoh that the 10th plague is going to come at night, and there's nothing Pharaoh can do about it. Moses, standing in the throne room of Pharaoh, describes exactly what will happen during this plague. He even prophesies about what will happen after this plague is over. Listen to what he says to Pharaoh in Exodus 11 and 8. He says, All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you, and all the people who follow you, after that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. Moses leaves Pharaoh's palace, and in that night, as he said, the tenth plague arrives. It's so bad that Pharaoh's firstborn son dies. And in the middle of the night, Pharaoh finally surrenders and orders Moses to come to the palace. When Moses arrives, Pharaoh commands him and all the Hebrew slaves to leave immediately. That day, for the first time, in more than 400 years, the Hebrew people are free. They gather their stuff. They begin to walk out of Egypt. And on their way, the Egyptians even give them their finest stuff. They so badly wanted the Hebrews gone, they were willing to do anything just to get them to leave. But they aren't as free as they think they are, at least not yet. Because just a few days after they leave, Pharaoh, after the mourning of his son, realizes what he's done. Listen to what he says in Exodus 14 and 5. What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, had just let all of his workers walk out. What's going to happen to Egypt if all his help leaves? So Pharaoh does what any dictator would do. He commands them to go after them. So the enemy pursues them. How many know your enemy never stops pursuing you? The last thing he wants is for you to remain free. He always wants to take you back into your bondage. And this is how bondage works. Once it's had you, it wants to forever keep you. So many people have been set free, have often been recaptured by their enemy. As an example, someone who's been bound by drug addiction, they get free, and six months later, they're right back in it. Why? Because the bondage pursued them to recapture them. Remember, the evil spirit comes back 
to see if the house is still clean. And if not, it comes back seven times stronger than it was. Get free for only after a short while. Fall back into the very thing that God set you free from. See, it wasn't long before Pharaoh's army catches up with him. The Bible even tells us where they caught up with them at. <clears throat> they pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. Now, that might not sound so bad until you realize where they were. Picture this. Many of you, because of where you are at, have seen this picture too. On one side of them is Pharaoh's army, their enemy. It's a group of angry men with chariots and horses and weapons prepared to recapture them. On the other side of them is the Red Sea. It's a huge body of water, impossible to cross, impossible to swim across. So here they are being squeezed between these two walls. It's a picture of sure defeat. So no matter where they look, it's bad news. Their only options appeared to be either we give up and surrender to Pharaoh's army, go back into Egypt, enter their bondage, or we drown in the Red Sea. Now, I know I'm in somebody's backyard right now. So what would you do in this situation? What are you doing in your situation? Well, the Israelites who are scared first do what we would probably do or have done. They blame someone or something for their troubles. They get mad at the guy in charge, Moses. We spend so much of our time during defeat blaming someone instead of believing in someone. Listen to what they say in Exodus 14, 12 as they blame Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They all look at Moses and say sarcastically, Oh, we see what your plan was. You brought us here to die instead of us dying as slaves in Egypt. That's what this was all about. This is ridiculous. We were better off in Egypt. The Israelites were scared of being recaptured back as slaves. The only other choice they had now was to drown in the Red Sea trying to escape. The only other choice. That's a big declaration. Choices. Speaking of choices, choices are a major factor in our lives. Our outcomes of our situations are determined by our choices we make in our situations. See, our situation can be serious in nature, but our reactions to our situations can be the determining factor of the extent of the damage our situations can cause to our lives. I think I want to say that again. Our reactions to our situations can be the determining factor of the extent of the damage our situations can cause in our life. And all too often in our panicked reactions, we make bad choices and expect good outcomes. It doesn't work like that. You sow to the good, you reap of the good. You sow to the bad, you reap of the bad. It's biblical principles. And when we are in places to feet, when we are trapped by our enemy, one of the worst choices is, is we don't always make the right choice. Most often our choices are driven by emotions based upon feelings and not on faith. And we don't always consider all of our options. It's true in their case, they didn't. They thought they only had two, the enemy or the sea, bondage or death. They never considered they had another option that by faith, they could have chose to trust God. Never did they call upon the name of the Lord. 
Hey, we see the picture. They were so focused on the picture. Let me remind you that picture was painted by their enemy. Instead of choosing to believe that he's our very present help in times and trouble. Have you ever been there where the Israelites are? Are you there where they are? Are you caught in the middle of something where it appears to be no way of out? Have you weighed your options? And is trusting God one of them? Are you at a place where there's nothing but destruction appearing on either side of you? That no matter which way you turn, it appears to be a losing battle for you. If I go this way, I lose. If I go that way, I lose. It appears unto you the only decision you have left to make is which way do you want to be defeated? It's okay to be honest about where you're at because I'm here to tell you you're not alone. There are so many just like you, some that have made it known. Others are just dying a slow death of silence, preparing for the worst. And this is where the Israelites were at. What are they to do? Well, Moses, their leader, made the right choice. He cries out to God, and he chose to obey God at his command. And Moses turns around and tells them what to do. And what he says to them is what? We all need to hear and take heart tonight. When our backs are against the wall and there's trouble on every side and we got a serious decision to make, listen to what he said to them. Do not be afraid. In other words, fear not. Do you know it says fear not? Do not be afraid 365 times in Scripture. So I guess he meant that there's 365 days in a year that every day we should not fear. Then he goes on to say, stand firm. In other words, don't waver in your faith. And he says, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. That's a word from somebody. Then he said, the Egyptians, your enemy, you see today, say today. You will never see again. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need to only be still. To sum up the point Moses is making to these people is Moses is telling the people, what you need to do is trust God. There it is. He says, because the same God who sent all the plagues on Egypt to rescue you is the same God that will deliver us all now. Watch and see. In Exodus 14 and 19 tells us that the cloud that had been before them came down behind them between the Israelites and the Egyptian army. On one side of the cloud, the Egyptian army was in total darkness. God had hid them from their enemy. He had hid them under the wings of the Almighty. But on the other side of the cloud, Moses and all the Israelites could see just fine. It says even when night came, it was as bright as the middle of the day. It's at this point that many of you might know the rest of the story. And that's at God's command. Moses stretches his hand over the Red Sea, and God parts the water, creating a runway through the middle of the sea for all the Israelites to walk through on dry ground. And what had seemed impossible to the Israelites only a little while ago was now a possibility. They were escaping their enemy once again, but now 
would they truly be free? All of this happened not because Moses was a brilliant leader or because he was just super smart. No, these former slaves escaped one of the greatest armies on the earth because they finally trusted God. Even when it looked like God had messed up and they were trapped between an army and a Red Sea, God already had an amazing plan to rescue them. Can I tell you, no matter where you're at tonight, God already has a plan to rescue you. And the same God that rescued these slaves from Pharaoh, it's the same God we can trust today. That when our friends let us down, when we feel anxious and afraid, and when life doesn't turn out the way we want it to, we have a God that we can always put our trust in because just as he was looking out for the Israelites, he's looking out for you and me today. Say this with me. Trust and obey because there is no other way. And that same message God is wanting me to deliver to you today. Just when you think there's no way out, if you will trust God to deliver you, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He will hide you from your enemy. See, Daniel was delivered from a lion's den. Shadmach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered from a fiery furnace. Lazarus was dead for four days and delivered from the grave of death. With God out, <clears throat> excuse me, with God out of nowhere, suddenly a path you've never seen suddenly appears. A door you've never seen before opens. A letter you never expected comes in the mail. A phone call you never dreamed of appears. A person you've never met is willing to help you appears. A verdict you never expected rules in your favor. When the impossible never seemed possible. See, the picture the enemy painted you has no doors, only walls. But the God you serve, he will make a way of escape and he will set an open door before you. He'll lead you through the troubled waters because he can steal the water. In Psalms 23, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He leadeth me beside still waters. Beside, not even in the waters, but on the dry ground. So when you're standing there weighing out your options, are one of them trusting God? Is he in the equation, or does the picture of your defeat exclude him? The Lord tells us to do all we know, know to do and then stand and watch the salvation of the Lord. It's 2020. It's a new year. It's a new decade. And everybody's wanting to hear a word from the Lord. Well, you can because the Lord is speaking. If you will be still and listen. And know in my, I know in my heart, he is saying in this decade, God is saying in this season, I have heard the prayers of my people who are desperate to be set free from bondage and captivity, entrapments, addictions, abuse, enslavement of this world. And God is speaking to the church. This is to be a year of victory, a year of deliverance by our deliverer, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God shall raise up a standard, saying to those who've been trapped, to those who look to the right and you only see defeat, and to those who look to the left and only see defeat, he says, look not to the left nor to the right, but look up. Your redemption draweth near. Your help comes from above. Because the devil is a liar. It's all a mirage. It's a demonic overture of evil defeat. 
And God says, I've sent my son Jesus to set you free. I am the deliverer that you prayed for. God says, I'm going to open doors that only I can open. That will set men free. And I'm going to shut doors that only I can shut that have held them captive. I'm going to unloose a saturation of my anointing to break the yokes of bondage off of your backs. That where sin doth abound, much more does my grace abound. And he that was judged, condemned, will live again. And he who was rejected will be accepted again. And he who was blind will see again. And he who was deceived will be wise again. For the devil is a liar, the liar that I will cast into the lake of fire. Fear not, for I am with you. I have heard the cries of my people, and I will answer them. And God sent me to tell someone that the enemy you see today, you will see no longer. For I have come to deliver from his hands his plots and his torments. God has a red sea experience ready for you if you will only obey and trust him. He will remove the obstacle when you're willing to face it and follow his voice. He'll open one door and he'll close another. And the open door will be your new future and the closed door will be, be used to destroy the enemy's assignment. I've come to remind you that we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but we're not destroyed. After they crossed the Red Sea, the enemy pursued them, but not for long this time. When the enemy tried to cross the sea like the Israelites, God closed the door. He shut the Red Sea up, and the water fell and it swallowed their enemy up, destroying them, never to be no more. And as he said in his word, the enemy they seen today, they would never see him again. That bondage was over. And God doesn't just want to set you free from the enemy. He wants to destroy the works of your enemy. I'd like for my musicians to begin to come. Here's what I like the most about all of this. The key to you being free and remaining free is when he sets you free, make sure you worship thee. Here's what I mean. When they got to the other side of the Red Sea, and they realized the enemy had been destroyed, that his plot was over, that their defeat was over. Miriam pulled out her tambourine, and they had themselves a victory dance. Why? Because their circumstances had overwhelmingly been changed by the hand of God that day. They knew that their bondage was over, that their enemy had been defeated. Anybody ready to receive victory over your enemy? Anybody in here ready to have a victory dance? Ready to see your enemy defeated once and for all? Ready to see your life be set free? Ready to see your spouse be set free? Ready to see your children be set free? Come on, somebody. I've come to tell you tonight that God wants to turn this altar into a dance floor, a place of victory. And it's time for the church to go back to the altars of the Lord. The place God has ordained to meet with you. This place, this space is more than just an aisleway. 
It's more than just a piece of carpet glued to the floor. How do I know that about this space? Because 2 Corinthians 3 and 7 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And another translation says, there is freedom. When God's presence is in this place, when God's presence is in this space, and when a man of God with his ordained foot stands on this space, this place is ordained to be a meeting place. It's not just no longer a $25 yard piece of carpet. It is a holy place. It is a place that God has ordained to meet with you. And when the man of God gives the invitation for you to come forth and meet with God, don't take it just and receive it just as a suggestion. It is a proclamation that he is declaring that the Lord is in this place and he wants to meet with you. And it's going to take faith for you to respond. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. You have heard God's word tonight. It needs to grow your faith so that you can respond. Because I want to tell you, it's going to take faith tonight for you to respond and for God to do what he wants to do in your life. I'm going to repeat to you Moses' words once more before I invite you. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you need only to be still. Would you stand with me?